How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And welcome back to another Cinema Sideshow podcast with special guest today, Jack. Whoa. Uh, hi, everyone. Whoa. Man, this is so upside down. It's almost like society has changed our identities. Wow. Oh crazy. Shifted it for the crazier. <laughs> How's it going, guys? How are we? Uh, I guess tired. Everyone's all... Jake's uber tired. We're all like... Jake's right tiredness has infected me. Yeah, good. it's uh, it's very good. <laughs> it's gonna be a surprisingly low key podcast given the film of the week, but we'll be giving it a hundred and ten percent for the next up. hour. We'll climb up the ladder. Yeah, we'll 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 get there. We'll get there. But other than being tired, guys, what have we watched this week? <laughs> oh fuck, I forgot to think of what I've watched in the past week. <laughs> I'm not used to being on this podcast. Someone else talking. I'll figure See, it out. See, this well, is I... why this is why Jake brings notes. I I I I bring my notes are getting more extensive each and everywhere. Like the first like ten episodes, I was just like, yeah, I'll wing it. By now, I'm just like, I've got my time set and I got my notes yeah, and dude, everything. And his notes are written in like binary, not even in words. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like in Matrix, he sees it all in zeros and ones. I guess I it's kind of easy crazy. for me to say what I've watched because I barely come on this podcast. So when I come on, it's like just whatever I've watched in the past month, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's it for our guests. It's a little easier because you can, you can be a bit more broad. It's yes. easier for me now because I've been updating my letterbox account. So yeah, all, you have a letterbox account. I know. So if you want to look at it, it's Jake the Clicker, and you what can go. What is on your there. lowest rated letterbox film? I think either Justice League or that Krampus Shock. the Christmas Devil film that I got forced to watch a few months back. Really? Yeah, I think I gave those like a half star across the board. You gave Justice League a half star. I might give it one star. Well, maybe. That's too generous. Definitely more than. <laughs> It is too. That's a that's a failure on every. I like, have not watched Justice League. I thought Suicide Squad was a failure of a film, and then you watch Justice League, and like, holy fuck, they did worse. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, anyway, if you want to, if you want to check that out, you can. It's done. Uh, I've updated it for the last two years because I've obviously been logging all the films that I've done in the last two years. So, but I've been, but boom, you can go and see. So I think it's like everything from the last two years. Everything from the last two years. Holy camoly. Yeah, it's. Let me actually check. I'm. I've like a hundred. Do you and, write reviews for all of them? No, I've given them all star ratings, and I've logged which dates that I watched them all because I had all that information. Lordy, uh, imagine doing that every time you watched a film. You had to log. I give up after four films. Yeah. Well, it's easy to log. You just go on. You give it a star rating. If you want to review it, you will. And I kind of, I do want to go back and try and review as many as I can. I got 166 films here though, so it might take me a little while to. That's a pretty good way of keeping track of them. It's probably better it's than, cool. especially if you have a podcast where you talk about what you've been watching. Absolutely, oh, exactly. Good way to track that. But yeah, maybe I should invest in it. Does it cost you money? Sh- no, it's free. But that's the thing. Like you had your free 65 challenge, and that's gone way askew. Yeah. So what ha- what happened with that? It's, just... it's called wasting hundreds of films that you could have used for last year. <laughs> right. Next year, you're like, I'll do it next year, but you've wasted like 200 films. Yeah, I mean, I will do it next fuck year. Yourself. No, I'll you just find two hundred. I mean, there's still a bunch of films on the the, the cinema yeah, blacklist. They're all gay you know? now, and the no one wants to talk blacklist. about them. What, like ET? And, oh, well, that's a bit crazy. But most of it's and like, I what was the one you were giving out? Goonies. Yeah, sure, you can watch those ones. But that's like you you give it like twenty of those that you should have watched, but you didn't. And then you'll get to like, oh, I'm watching this crazy film from the 1960s called Flurp Derp. You may have <laughs> heard of it. Flurp Derp. You're going to get pretty desperate, you know. Yeah, I guess. I wouldn't call that desperate, though. Like, the further you get, I feel like the more kind of cinema knowledge you kind of the get. The further you get, the less I care about you, is what I'm trying to say. I yeah. think it's it's a, it's a tough challenge. Like, I've talked about it the last couple of weeks, especially. It's, it's just a tough thing to do, especially this last year. We're in the we're in the home stretch, guys. It's not far to go now. It's true. Well, I have watched Dude. a lot in the last few in the last week. I suppose. Oh, yeah? What's the film term? you've caught on to this week? Jack? Right, I watched a lot. I finally watched The Master because you and Jesse talk about oh, it so much. I wouldn't watch that so bad. It's quite good. I think I think the best way to put it, and you put it this way, way earlier in the show, is it's literally just an act off. Yeah. Between Hoffman and, and Phoenix, every yeah. scene is them trying to up themselves. You're right. It's it's beautiful. 
pretty good. You can't it's you good. can't rent that movie or buy that movie on YouTube for some reason. No. But we've talked about this today when we were in uh, uh, JB Hi-Fi, how many of, like, There Will Be Blood, which is this film that... How is that not everywhere on Blu-ray? Like, that probably, like, widely has been considered the best film of the noughties. Like the, the, the noughties? Like, the early... Two, yeah, the, the O's, O's, baby. Oh, O's. Tress okay. O. So, like, that decade, it's, like, widely acclaimed as one of the best films of that decade, yet you cannot get it on Blu-ray or anything. I literally for, saw for the first time today they finally have like the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Rob Ford. They literally just put that on DVD. Worst and title for a film. It's the longest title. But that just spoils. That's the film. also in that. It the, straight up just tells you the ending of the film. What about the death of the Incredible Hulk? Is that a film? That's an actual film title. Yeah. Yeah, but really, no one's seen that. In, in the trailer, the Hulk dies in Wait, the trailer. Oh, this is like one of those TV movies. It's ba- yeah, it's like a TV movie based on the um the original Hulk series. I guess so, but like like he dies in the trailer. <laughs> but that tells you he dies. It doesn't tell you exactly who killed him. <laughs> yeah, but in the trailer, it shows true. him falling out of a helicopter and he's and he's on the floor trailers, dead. Trailers back then were a different thing. They were a little. They were like, like here's the story. Here's the ending. Here's <laughs> the end I'm credits. sure we'll talk about the the trailer just before we get into like the movie of the week later in the show because right. the trailer did play a pretty big part into why the movie of the week was so hyped. And for better or I worse, suppose. I think. Well, I watched a few other things. Finally caught on my Wes Anderson kind of spew. I finally watched Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm. And uh, I think they're both masterpieces in their own ways. I think Isle of Dogs especially. Isle of Dogs is just a really good film. And then Fantastic Mr. Fox is uh, all right. You're crazy. I just think it's like mm. trying a bit too hard. I'm. I'm so, what do you mean trying too hard? I never got this argument from you, Quickie, though. snappy, oh, hello, I'm the fox. And then he runs away. But and that's then he hard to snap, do. Snap, snap. Yeah. snap. So, oh, it's not really though. It is. I think Isle Dogs, that film is I, incredible. I think Isle of Dogs takes its takes its time a bit more, and Isle it Dogs does a lot more silent. It's got silent characters and stuff. It's very much just like yeah, there are moments are all stoic. Real... It actually, you know, I actually did write it down. I think Isle of Dogs feels like a silent film in a lot of ways, especially because a lot of the dialogue's in Japanese. Yeah, so no subtitles, maybe. Yeah, I mean there are uh, kind of, but instead of subtitles, they actually include translators in the film as characters. To yeah. translate a lot of the Japanese dialogue, I thought it was quite clever. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that I preferred Isle of Dogs over Fantastic Mr. Fox. But from a Wes Anderson point of view, and I think I talked about this in our, our director's corner, those two films are definitely the two I prefer from him. I think mm-hmm. I like those ones more um, than things like Grand Budapest and uh, even Bottle Rocket, which we talk, had a whole we episode. Did, we dedicated. did Bottle Rocket, yeah, in episode twenty. T. Yeah. So. Cool. Um, those two, I especially Isle of Dogs, is a standout, great film. Yeah, no, I really, I thought Isle of Dogs was fantastic, and I think because I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox first, mm-hmm. as you should, because it came out in two thousand. I thought it came out way earlier than two thousand nine. Yeah, I was surprised I remember, I remember by that. It being in, I remember it being in cinemas. I remember when kids saw it and were like, no, I don't really like that movie. It's like, well, it's not really for kids much, is it? Yeah, not not as... I mean, I, it's a very great family film, but you're right. It's a little less geared towards kids than I would have imagined it's a little bit, going into it. It's not, like, too over the top, but it's probably more adult than, like, Wallace and Gromit, which is still actually even pressing to an adult, sort of. It's Fast Like Mr. Fox has, like, very, like, adult dialogue. Like, it's not, like, slowing down for kids or anything. It's just, like... Whereas, like, Wallace and Gromit can be a bit... It's, like, just, like... And literally, characters don't really talk. They just make goofy faces. Because yeah, I'm pretty sure Curse of the Were Rabbit was around the same time, right? Oh, what a banger! You know yeah. what? Curse of the Were Rabbit might have been my 2005 thing. That's what I thought that Mr. Fox came out in 2005 for some reason. Really? But it must have been Curse of the Were Rabbit. animated picture. Really? Curse of the Were so. Rabbit. God, so. it's a good movie. That's not surprising to be honest. Have you guys seen a, a Matter of Life and Death? Yeah, that was no. like, that came out. I remember that being on SBS, like, and it was a huge deal. Like, oh, a new Wallace and Gromit film. It was good. Good. Wait, was animation. that recently? 
Oh, it was uh, probably like I was probably in year 20, eight when it came out. Yeah, twenty fifteen, maybe. No, nah, probably like twenty twelve. I reckon. I'll quickly fact check it, but oh, that's crazy. I, I really would like them to do another Wallace and Gromit film for sure. Like, I really like Wallace and Gromit. I feel like there might be one on the way. One hundred percent. Like I just, I just feel like they're not done with it yet. You know. I don't think you can be done with you, it. Yeah, so I it's think a very it's pretty simple timeless. formula that you can yeah. just adapt to anything. It better not be fucking Gromit gets an iPhone. <laughs> Shoot myself. Gromit gets an iPhone. That's the whole movie. Gromit, we have to go and do this crazy adventure, and he's just sitting there on his iPad. Jake, I have to give you an applause. 2005 was Curse of the Werewolf. Hey! I thought so. That must have been where I got the confusion from. Got a 95% of Rotten Tomatoes. What was the other one we were trying to figure out what year it was? Loaf loaf and Bread. I'll have a quick check. Yeah, that's a good... um, It should have been called Fear and Loathing in Bread Vegas. No? Anyone? (laughs) You know what? That's fun. I I don't mind that. (laughs) I I thought the Fantastic Mr. Fox, the first act is literally The Incredibles. Of Curse of the Were-Rabbit? No, oh, fantastic. Oh, oh, what? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I have to try and remember the first. Oh, yeah, because I like... Because it starts off with them doing a heist. They almost get caught. And then there's a the whole, I'm pregnant. You have to promise to abandon this life. Isn't that then like it, half then movies it, ever? Then it... No, well, no, but like Isn't it's that more... Se- that's 17 again. It's They're more directly to... Again. I mean, who's seen 17 Dude, again? Dude, Matter of Life and Death was 2008. Damn, Whoa. we're old. Uh, like, what do you mean? I have seven. That was like one of the first Blu-rays I ever owned at seventeen again. You're crazy. It's a classic film. No, but it's like a, again? It time jumps. Dude, I want to go back to seventeen again. That was a that movie I kind of enjoyed. Yeah, exactly. I'm the wrong That's it. a guilty pleasure movie for yeah. sure. No, but then they have to the time jump, and the kids there, and he's tempted to come back into the the life of you know what he's doing. You know, it's very much like The Incredibles. It's just a like parody first, of uh, first half an hour. Just a parody of Ocean's Eleven and stuff. What well, they even got George Clooney, the, Fantastic yeah. Mr. Fox. Yeah, they even got the same cast. Oh, it's got more like a Wes Anderson cast, like Bill Murray. Oh, and they're both like great casts, both that and Isle of Dogs. I really cast like the amazing. Isle of Dogs cast, especially. Yeah. I think it's pretty... I love, I love how much Brian Cranston gets to do. And, um, do and Edward Norton. Yeah. Good Took me a Eddie. while. I was like, oh, yeah, that is his voice. That's cool. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about more Brian Cranston-related stuff uh, towards the end of the show, Crazy. given the uh, film we'll be reviewing next week on the show. Man, you just love Ooh. teasing. Love teasing. <laughs> the future. Be in the moment. Yeah. I watched one other thing. I did okay. end up watching that Between Two Ferns, the movie that's on Netflix. Mm. It's obviously based on Between the Ferns, that show that, you know, it's like a web series, I suppose. I yeah, don't, yeah. Never, never, never seen it. I've seen it. I just don't understand how there's a movie called about it. It's, it's literally it's, a not, celebrity interview show. It's literally... It's like um, Oprah, it's, the movie. It's literally Bad Grandpa in the sense that they weave... A, like very very loose storyline around all kind interviews. of the fun little bits and pieces of it yeah do you mean Dirty Grandpa the one with no, Bad, Bad Grandpa, Grandpa. he's right no, the Jackass film yeah the Jackass uh, one yeah okay. Yeah, because it's got a very loose story and then they, they kind of work the story into all the little skits and things they do and similar to this where they work the interviews out and then they do the story I don't think there's behind anything it. necessarily wrong with that, especially if it's wrong on with Netflix it, no. and, you it's... know it wasn't it wasn't a terrible film I was like yeah this is fun it's no more or less funny than the actual show Man, Probably the a, most funny thing about it's the the bloopers and the credits. I actually generally laughed a lot. I think during that. I like. Is it more mockumentary? Is it like a mockumentary style, or is it's it a straight up film? Isn't it? Yeah, well, it's it is sort of like a film. Actually, they kind of tie it as if it's the showrunners, and then Zach he's like the lead character, and then he's kind of directing these camera people to do this quote unquote doco, and then that is the film is them doing the doco. So it's a but, mock- sort of but they kind of break the rules a lot where it gets a little too cinematic the shots and it's like well clearly this isn't the the filmmakers in the film getting these shots okay and um because like you know it's funny like when we even we were walking through like jb hi-fi today i was thinking about this when you showed me like the what we do in the shadows thing it's like it's really just a sequential amount of skits bruh have you seen what we do in the shadows jake i suppose so 
Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. You know the two police officers that show up at the house in that one scene? That's actually one of my favourite scenes. Do you know they're from a, 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 a New Zealand TV show called Paranormal, well, Wellington Paranormal, and they're just... Oh, it's and like they're a, like these... They just do a cameo. Like, they're actually playing their characters from that TV show. Because oh, we're in JB Hi-Fi today, and I see a box set, and it's like, what we do in the shadows and Wellington Paranormal seasons one and two in the same thing. I was like, why are they connected? And then I turned it over, and I was like, holy fuck. So that whole show is about police officers going and investigating crazy paranormal shit. How cool would that have been if, if I was they a did fan of that show? What we do in the shadows too, they should get the two guys from Flight of the Concords well, to doing come the on the sh- show. They're doing the show, aren't I mean, they? One of the guys was already in What We Do in the Shadows. Which one is he? Who's He's he? uh, the not uh, the werewolf guy. No, uh, like the the musician guy you're talking about, right? What yeah. you talking about? Yeah, the Jermaine is already in What We Do in the Shadows. What does he do? What's he in? He's one of the main dudes. He's the one who's like. I can't explain what his character is. I don't know. He's like Which the, one's he? The one that opens the door, the one who's having like an orgy in that one scene when they open the door. It's been a while since I've seen it. Oh, he's the that. magician-y character. Like the one who's like the shapeshifter. Yeah. What? That's Shemaine. Hectic. Oh, I've watched so many movies. I can't wait to tell you. Uh, yeah, but anyway, how cool it being... Yeah, you know, I heard Taika with titties in that film too. You're trying to give me a trailer? Sorry. You're taking I, the piss out of me. I'm, yeah, I know. I am, but I shouldn't because I don't know what either of you talking about right now. How cool would it be if you were like a... <laughs> a fan of Wellington Paranormal and you go to see what we do in the shadows and all of a sudden the two cops from that show come in playing themselves. It'd be so fucking cool. Man. It's kind of like in The Simpsons, my weekly Simpsons reference, when um they do the X-Files. We should have a jingle for it. We should have a jingle da, 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 da. Remember when I brought the ukulele in for yeah. like the third episode? Story time with Jake. Yes. Yeah, for those who don't know, that was a genuine moment where we just stopped and I played the ukulele. You didn't yeah. edit it at all. Nope. <laughs> it yeah. sounds edited too. It sounds Brilliant. so like Brilliant. snaps right to music. Bring it back. I should bring it back. I'll bring a ukulele Jake in Simpson here. Simpson moment. I'll bring like a prop one because I played like yours, which was half broken that yeah. day. You get like one Simpson quote. Yeah, I'll get one Simpson quote a week and I get to play the ukulele yeah. while I'm doing it. <laughs> so what was your Simpson quote for this week? No, I was just saying how it was like it was like the X-Files episode when um, the characters from the X-Files come into yeah, the Simpsons. Yeah, but different because it's like a huge show and having a cameo. This is like a movie where Didn't randomly... Simpsons yeah, but it's the same thing. It's just different size of... Popularity, I suppose. What were you going to say, Zach? No, just uh, that's like The Simpsons. They had a lot of celebrity guests on their show, right? Yeah, yeah, but uh, now I feel like it's more geared towards like literally. Oh, look, it's you know Lady Gaga sort of thing. Yeah, While literally. in that show, they were playing the characters in their own show. Actually, you know what? In um, I told you about it. In Once, the characters from Once are in a Simpsons episode, and they're playing their own characters. That's fucking weird. It was so I never noticed now, that. That's like such a an obscure later. reference. That's more like what I'm talking about with yeah, the paranormal no, that, shit. Yeah, that happened. And I, and I rewatched that scene. I was like, oh my God, because I saw it 10 years ago. I thought it was just some random Irish kind of joke. And I was like, no, it was a complete so once what reference. So what scene are they re- like replying? So well, what it was is you have the Simpsons, and it, other than Homer, so it's like it's Marge and the kids and stuff. They're walking around Ireland. They're like, oh, there's nothing fun to do. And then they turn around and it's Glenn Hansen in character as, as Guy. And yeah. he's like, oh, there's plenty of fun things to do. And he starts playing Falling Slowly. Um, and he's trying to woo, you know, um, girl up. And then it pans up to the house and she's up there. And she's like, oh, um, s- stop sending pianos. Or like the husband like throws a piano down at him. And uh, it's like, good. it's that's so, so obscure. And I'm like, this is that amazing. That is an insanely obscure thing. Like, it's weirdly specific. It's yeah. after they won their Oscar though. So, okay. So, uh, but yeah, it's very obscure. Yeah, I loved fair it. enough. What else have you caught this week, Jack? Oh, I mean, I haven't been on ages, so nothing this, like, I don't, have I, was I on the show since I watched Eagle vs. Shark? I don't think so. I watched Eagle vs. Shark. Your last episode was Hollywood, was it? Yes. Okay, so I watched Hollywood. Eagle vs. Shark. Oh. Very good film. Mm-hmm. Taika Waititi's first feature film. Oh, you I can quote that. me on that. I googled it. Jermaine is the main character from Flight of the Concords, and the chick who Taika Waititi was married to at the time plays the girl. She's also very good in it, and yeah. it's just a sort of two awkward characters 
supposed to be films. Yeah, yeah. It's, just two, it's just two awkward characters living their lives, and there's like sort of like a dark undertone with like a sad story about how his brother killed himself and stuff. And mm. it was like, it's like very Taika Waititi, where it's like, oh, look at this fun story, but all the characters have very sad pasts. So I watched that. I also watched The Cable Guy because I got it on Blu ray. That movie's weird. Mm. I fucking love The Cable Never Guy. Never seen it. It's just such it's a, a weird classic. feeling when I, know, I watch it's, that. Isn't yeah. it, it's a bit. I don't know. It's a bit creepy. Who's, it's a bit... Is it Ben Stiller's first film? No, it's not well, first it's, film. It's um, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Yeah, but Ben Stiller directed it. But he only plays. He just oh, plays I didn't a even character because he's the murderer on TV. Oh my god! I never knew that. So he directed it. Jim Carrey is the cable, the quintessential cable guy, mm. and Matthew Broderick is the guy whose cable was being fixed. That's right. And it's there's was, a girlfriend character too, eh? Uh, yeah. Who plays the girlfriend? Oh, uh, what's it, like chick from the Judd Apatow's wife? You know that chick? She's in all his movies. Oh yeah. But Fair uh, enough. basically, it's a it's a weird movie. You can tell why it didn't do well at the time because it's a bit weird. There's a lot of weird choices directing wise where. If I if I was a film snob, I'd probably hate it. But I like shit that's stupid. Like Matthew Broderick's acting is awful in the movie, but I love it. Like at one point, right. Jim Carrey like whispers in his ear like something like insinuating he fucked this guy's wife, and Matthew Broderick literally does like a pause, then he slaps his oh no he, he pauses for a second he goes you bastard and then waits a second and then slaps his hand over his mouth and goes oh, as if he wasn't oh, meant to say that don't the family see that yeah but i like, remember that scene it's like yeah. an awkward pacing like where you could tell he's mm. just going through the motions in his head and he's like saying it like a cartoon character but it feels like weirdly it's on purpose like it's meant to feel like sort of like a weird it's filmed like a 60s sitcom it's, almost it's kind of like how you know sam raimi almost does some of these scenes it felt very like weird sam pacing Raimi-ish. but it's very intentional yeah I, I, I maybe it was trying to go for like a sort of 60s vibe it's very much one setting the characters are very. I like, mean, he, I mean, Willem Dafoe's a great actor, but some of the shit he does as Green Goblin's pretty comical. Yeah, but it works in those films, and Jim exactly. Carrey does some weird shit in this film. But it's like, but we all know but Jim Carrey is a great. Film. But we also know Jim Carrey <laughs> is capable of being a really good actor. So. Yeah, I think he is a really good actor in this film. Like I just, I don't, I just love the. I would cable love guy. to rewatch because I watched Cable Guy when I was like ten or something. It's so I would such, love to rewatch it's got it. Now. So much style. It's so weirdly like, it just feels like it was made with so much energy. It's, uh, like there's a scene where. Jim Carrey is doing karaoke to this really psychedelic song, mm. and they just do the whole song in the movie while also having a montage of Matthew Boderick like hooking up with a hooker in the room next door, and it's just like this weirdly psychedelic like what's happening? But it's so good. I'm like <laughs> I fucking love this. It's so like Ben Stiller was snorting lines of cocaine with Owen Wilson at the time, probably. But it works. <laughs> it just feels like what this... year was Cable Guy? Ninety five. Oh, I'm gonna say ninety eight is my guess. Ninety seven actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just so, it's just such, I don't know, I just love it. It's like, um, it just feels like it was doing shit just because it wanted to do shit. Right. And, you know, I like movies like that. It just feels like, it feels like, a, I don't know, it feels like a music video. And people just are like, fuck it, it like let's just do whatever video. we want. I don't know. And I know that I, if I showed it to someone and they said they hated it, I would, I totally understand. But I just love it. I don't know what it I is. I just about. remember being really like, not not that it was a weird film, but I felt weird watching yeah, it. Jim Carrey like, generally vibe, freaked right? me out. It's yeah. so, you know why it's actually really creepy? is because it's like, this guy comes into this guy, just based off the fact that he provides him cable, he somehow managed to completely control this guy's life. And like, this guy is so trapped in this world with this cable guy who's never going to let him go. Right. And like, you get this weird, like, there's a, this like, news report about a TV star who killed his, his uh, best, oh, his brother, his twin. And, it just sets up this weird sort of murdery vibe with Jim Carrey instantly when he's like, I was raised on TV. And like, I don't know. It just feels to me, it's like... You should just do Cable Guy. You get weird, crazy week. shit. You should, definitely should do Cable Guy. It's, I think it's underappreciated. Uh, it was 1996. Oh, so Ooh. right in between what we said. But I was closer. 
I said 97. <laughs> I changed it to 97. No, you said 98. Yeah, I was like, wait, no, 97. Whatever. So we were close. Grossed 102.8 million dollars. Really? Not at the box office. The best. That's insane. That's great though. For that kind of movie. What was that... the budget on it? Get back on it. Oh, it was less than 100. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's 100 million. We'll check it. We'll check it. Well, I've been on a bit of a Scorsese tear in the last week. Mm. Um, I wonder why. I wonder why. Scorsese's cancelled. Uh, he said 47 million. Suck. That's pretty. That's, that's a big budget back then. That's almost as big as a Joker budget. Oh, my God. And that was back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For a movie about a guy in an apartment. I guess there is that whole sequence at the Oh, dude, there's a sequence at the end when they climb up a satellite and have this, like, huge end, like... That emotional moment and like you can tell they actually have that huge satellite and like do they build this or are they using this like what's going they on they probably took it so yeah. Scorsese yeah so I've managed to catch I've revisited three films from him that I've already watched I've, so I said to last week when we watched The King of Comedy which was a Scorsese film that I also revisited Taxi Driver mm-hmm. alongside you Jake yep. just bought that um, yes yeah, which Jack also bought today so that was pretty sweet um, no I revisited Wolf of Wall Street as per your request, when I asked you both what film I should watch that night, oh, and yeah. I watched Wolf of Wall Street. What was the options again? Wolf of Wall Street or Goodfellas, oh, which I then proceeded to watch. ended up watching Goodfellas. <laughs> Goodfellas last night. I also watched The Last Waltz, which was his documentary that he did around that time uh, with the band, which I've talked about on the show already. But um, yeah, Have you seen no. Hugo? I have not seen Hugo. I've, I rented it, so I've still got. I got to Wednesday to watch it. That's when, like, mm-hmm. when, old, watch it. when old filmmakers make a movie with like, "Wow, CGI exists! I'm going to make a huge CGI film." I hate it. <laughs> yeah, but um, hopefully, it doesn't happen to Nolan one day. As I, as I said last like night, CGI. both you boys, um, Goodfellas is just a really fun film to watch. Right, it's a banger, and it's so entertaining, and it's so fresh, and it's so honestly probably my favorite film from him. Um, Rewatching The Wolf of Wall Street, I actually found this time, I think this might be the third, maybe the fourth time I've watched this film since it's come out, what, in 2013, as we found out, that I found myself kind of straining away. I keep straining away in that third act. It's that last hour of The Wolf of Wall Street I really struggle to get through. Where it, I think it feels like less is happening towards the end. Yeah. It kind of fizzles out he, almost as a plot. The, I think when he hits the Madden sale... When mm. like that happens, yep. and that sort of point passes, and he goes through his divorce with his wife, it starts to s- decline slowly over that point. I just think I think that early the first hour of Wolf of Wall Street is very good. Like you're pretty into it the whole way through, but I think Goodfellas just it's two and a, it's nearly three hours. Goodfellas, but you don't really realize. God damn, it. I didn't even. I would have thought if you had asked me if that's a short film or a long film, I would have said a short film. That's how fun it is. Like, I was like, I feel so quick. I think it's because Goodfellas does this thing. Scorsese has this weird thing where he just, you know, there are so many, there are certain filmmakers that are so regimented with the rules of filmmaking. He really isn't. Doesn't like, De Niro just look so fucking cool in that movie? Yeah. Wait, which one, sir? In uh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. De Niro just looks fucking badass. But, like, he really has no disregard. Like, he doesn't care about continuity, which has been a discussion point. I forgot to mention it last week. We did kind of comedy, but there's some, yeah, scenes that are, like, shocking continuity. Yeah. They're walking, then they stop walking on the street, you know, stuff Goodfellas like that. Goodfellas is some ones where it's, like, a character's holding something, mm. and then they switch to the reverse shot, and he's not holding it. And it's, like, I wasn't even looking for it, and it was just, like, boop. And I was just, like, wow. But I still can't help but love this film. And it's not just things like that. It's just, like, like... He'll do mo- like things that if 
I presented a script like that, people would ask what the motivation behind things. Like, for example, in Goodfellas, yep. the main character, I can't quite remember the actor's name. Ray Liotta? Yes. Wow, that was, that was sharp. Right um, on the tip of his tongue. Would have been a good Norman Osborne if he wasn't 100 years old now. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so he's the main character. And, of course, he has his love interest in the film. And seemingly out of nowhere, we've had the narration from his perspective the whole film. Yeah. And it immediately switches to her and her narration. But her narration is wildly inconsistent in the plot. It only comes up when convenient, which is kind of a like a choice that I know if a professional saw that script, probably would have rejected it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like like if you just randomly for some reason if I had like a conversation and you and I've had my narration of my point of view the whole film, if I get two hours in and suddenly switch to his narration yeah. of the situation it it wouldn't i don't think it would have the motivation and she only comes back from a vo point of view i think once other time in the film other than outside of than that introduction part mm-hmm. and it i think that's was always like upon watching it this time i noticed it and i thought it wasn't a necessarily a negative thing it was just a curious thing as to like right it just kind of stood out yeah it's it's sort of like for example like in wolf wall street the only person who narrates the whole film is Jordan is, Belford. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Belford, Leo DiCaprio. Now imagine if that lunch that he that dinner he has with Margot Robbie, we immediately switch to Margot Robbie's uh narration. It would just right. be really confusing. And then after all the shit hits the fan with Jordan Belford, if we just suddenly switched back to her point of view again. Yeah. It just would be a little mm-hmm. odd. No, I, I feel think. yeah, it's like a weird choice. And it's something that I think doesn't get addressed enough. Like sometimes like and I love Scorsese's films, but yeah. it just felt like he was just like, oh, I need to get inside this character's mind. No, so I'm literally going to do internal model. I would just wish with Scorsese he would not make a three and a half hour film. Like, don't do this to me. The Irishman oh, being yeah, three and a half hours. Is it really three and a half why, hours? If, if it's on Netflix, why not make it a three part fucking miniseries? Why am I watching a three and a half hour film? I'm gonna, I'm not going to watch that in even two sittings. I'm going to have to watch it in three sittings. Yeah. That really uh, froze my interest in it out of the window. Yeah, to be honest. Is, it, is it going on Netflix? Yeah, it's a Netflix exclusive. Straight to Netflix movie. That's crazy. But it's got like a 9.2 and shit on IGN. It's apparently a very good it's movie. It's the Liam Neeson one, right? No, it's uh, Al Pacino and... De Niro's in it as De Niro. well. Yeah. yeah, but they're digitally de-aged. Oh, really? Apparently it's a bit janky at first, but you get used to it. I'm just sick of the. I, I was never watching, got used to that shit in any movie. Dude, I've I watched seen. Endgame. The de-aging in that's garbage. Michael Douglas oh, is really? de-aging when they go back to the 70s. Like a cartoon character. I'm, I, I, when I watch CGI movies now, I oh, go, okay. I go. How's this going to look in ten years? Endgame is going to look garbage in ten yeah, years. Yeah, but for Scorsese, that's just lazy. Get two new actors. Like, oh, yeah. Well, I don't you, think that's laziness. I, I mean, it, you've said it yourself. You're like, there's certain people you like want to work with constantly over I, and over. I think again. for Scorsese, it's oh fuck. Like the same with how he does Hugo, and I said he wants to make a big CGI film. It's a bunch of old directors going, oh, I could digitally de-age someone. Sure, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Well, I read, I read somewhere, Dinero, uh, not Dinero, <clears throat> that Scorsese along the, said something along the lines of like, oh, this is this is me and De Niro finishing business sort of thing. I mean, it's this cool. film, which but is De Niro a cool quote, could have played but... the old version, and then a younger, talented actor could play the young version. You know? Yeah, I mean, Get even in Goodfellas, they do that with the kid version of. Of Ray but Leo. then again, Ray Liotta does play like twenty-year-old him and like old him, and it's a bit yeah, jarring. Yeah, it's not super old. It's like he's, he looks super it's old. Twenty to thirty-seven, I think. When he's twenty, he time looks old. Like I'm like, I know I don't look like that. Yeah, I guess. But they should like, have gotten uh, Steve Buscemi in The Irishman, and then Stellan Star. Oh wait, what's his name? Uh, Skarsgård. Was it? Yeah, no, not Skarsgård. Stellan. Who's the one that played Bill Skarsgård? Who played Pennywise? 
He should have played younger Steve Buscemi. They look identical. Bill? Was it like Gustav? No, it was Bill Skarsgård, isn't it? Yeah, Bill. Bill. Bill should play a young Steve Buscemi. Okay. My boy say. Bill. I want Bill to be in everything. I fucking love Bill Skarsgård. I guess He's I guess good. I'm of that mindset. Like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you do want to stick with the people original, but then that kind of cancels out with something like Wolf of Wall Street, where he literally has uh, no one. But I also, think, if you're doing that, he had worked with. If you're doing digital de aging. At least not in the main cast. Like, he never worked with Jonah Hill. Or something you're like restricting his acting because if you see the clips of De Niro acting with the CGI in his face. You can barely see what his face is trying to do because it's like I'm just CGI. Everything's CGI. Mm. And when you try to, it, I think digital digital aging works when you're doing something like getting Steve Rogers to look like an old man because you're getting a young face and making. Well, it look that's old. mostly makeup. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but there is a lot of CGI as well. Yeah, yeah. But when you get an old face and try to make it look young, the yeah. face structure just doesn't translate to a young person. So it looks like an old guy with a smooth face. Yeah, I don't think there's been a single instance where you can't not. Like Sam tell. Jackson's was the best one, but that's because Sam Jackson doesn't look that old. You know, I, was, I literally mm. thought about it. You know, he's in Goodfellas. He's the the black dude that gets shot in Holy Goodfellas. Holy fuck, he's in Goodfellas. He's barely like, in Goodfellas. As yeah, well. yeah, but like, he looks really old in Goodfellas. And then I thought to myself, Goodfellas was in like '87. He's young. He just had a really old face that just didn't age from like '94 onwards. And then they do. And then an example of getting someone with a younger face to de-age so it looks better, like uh, like uh, Sam Jackson. Mm. They do that with fucking Will Smith and Gemini Man. And it just looks like a thinner version of Will Smith because he hasn't aged since the 90s. So it's like, the, you need to find no, a middle I couldn't ground. care less about a film than Gemini Man. <laughs> yeah, no fucking shit. If that was straight to Netflix, maybe I'd watch it, but probably not. Yeah. What are you into it? I'm into it ironically, Jake. <laughs> it looks oh, like okay. shit. I'm a Gemini. Yeah, he, was, right? he was pining for Jaden to be young Jaden should have played young Will Smith. I don't even, you know, I don't even disagree with that, to be honest. Jaden can't act very well, but he can act a little bit. And you could make him, make the character mute. Fuck it. I just, I like, I'm, I just find it funny because... Like, I, like, literally was like, that's Sam Jackson. But it's like, he looks kind of old in Goodfellas. And yet, like, a few years ago, he's in Kingsman. And he was, like, nearly 70 at that point. And they he, dressed him in, like, age streetwear. I forget he's in uh, Kingsman, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's good the in bad that. guy in Kingsman. Yeah, I know, but looks, I just forget that he's in that. Yeah, film. and he's good in it. And he looks the same age as he does literally 20 years. At, like, so maybe just old, like, older faces. And we just get used to the fact that they just I, don't age. <laughs> I just realised you guys are obsessed with your stools going up as high as humanly possible. Yeah. Dude, this chair is insanely tall. Yeah. It's actually pointless. More, it's like Morgan Freeman. I'm getting anxiety looking since up both my of knees you right are now. higher than the desk. <laughs> like Morgan Freeman since 1994 has like not aged since. Yeah, but he's shank. old in 94 as well. So it's like yeah. he got uh, he got old and then stayed old. You know. Yeah, that's fair. I you can see I like, what he looked like at like 30. I watched another film. Yeah, did you watch? I watched mid 90s. Oh, the Jonah Hill one, right? I believe yeah. the Jonah Hill directorial debut. Didn't you see that together? No, no I saw it with Jesse. So I, I watched the other. Jay. We talked about it. The other Jay. I talked about it in episode sixteen. If you I rented my it on YouTube. It. You know why I wanted to watch it? Why? Because jo- Jonah Hill directed a Danny Brown music video, which you can tell if you watch that video very much inspired mid nineties. Mm-hmm. In the same aspect ratio, it's filmed to see like it was made like in the nineties, like mm. on a TV show. So I was like, fuck, that was like one of my favorite music videos. So I watched it. Was like Jonah Hill just grew up in the 90s? Is that how this... I think he just really likes... Yeah, he grew up in the 90s. He really likes it. Mm. He also says he was a skateboarder and he got a lot of shit for people being like, you were too fat to skateboard. And he's like, no, I was a skateboarder, trust. But I don't believe him. No, I I, I can see it. I feel like he was a skater. I reckon he got fatter the older he got. I've never seen him. Even if you look at like Knocked Up in one of his earlier roles in like... Oh five. He was yeah, like but we're talking about fat. we're talking about him like, probably in his like tweens. Have you seen yeah. the photo from Twenty Two Jump Street? I mean Twenty One no. Jump Street when they go to the house party and there's like a no. glamour shot of Jonah Hill when he was a kid, little fat kid. I don't remember that at all. Little, little fat. I've kid. seen both the Jump Street films. I just haven't. Either way, mid nineties is a 
fucking banger of a film. It's really, really good. The music, amazing. Wu-Tang Clan and shit, fucking awesome. The skating, cool as shit. All the characters, just naturally cool. Everything about that movie just felt so cool to me. Even when nothing was happening, I was like, this is cool as shit. Yeah, I mean, and probably one of the best car crash scenes of all time. Oh, that was like, I want to get that frame of that kid's face and just frame it. Oh, frame it. <laughs> that's a, that's going to look weird in your room. Just a kid screaming <laughs> with like a white light on his face. Like, ah! <laughs> that actually might give me night. That's what sleep paralysis looks like. Oh, man. It's like, um, I mean, you like that sort of like 90s vibe. That though. is like, like you like Dongtown with even like the, the boys. Yeah, even like and... the baggy clothes and shit they wear. I'm like, I just dress like that anyway. So it's like, this is like yeah. my fucking life. This is I your wish jam. I lived then. This is your jam, Jack. That's my jam, dude. What about you, Jake? What no, else no. have you caught um, this week? Chlamydia? That's it. That's it? Well, I'm... What do you mean? That's uh, like 10 movies I've listened before. No, it's groovy. That's <laughs> groovy. Are we ready then to... We got any career no. stuff? Any nothing career to... stuff. I'm ready to jump right into our film <laughs> of the week. I got nothing. Our film of the week is what, Jake? What are we watching? <laughs> it's Joker. Do the laugh properly, go. No, I don't want to. Oh. <laughs> Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. To bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Forever alone in the crowd, fellow comedian Arthur Flex seeks connection as he walks the streets of Gotham City. Isolated, bullied, and disregarded by society, Arthur begins a slow descent into madness as he transforms into the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. But does he really transform into a criminal mastermind known as the Joker? He really doesn't, to be honest. He sort of transforms into another dude. Spoiler alert. There's no criminal masterminding happening once. Exactly. A little bit, a little bit. He does a little bit of criminal shit, but he's not the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. Yeah, like, it's fair to say, and I'm sure we'll touch on this at some point during this discussion, uh... I, I would say yeah, he's not he's not a mastermind like quite like uh, Heath Ledger was, he was in a criminal the Dark Knight, which is a good example. Or even Jack Nicholson. He's just sort of a dude that ha- some shit happens to him and he just goes with it. Well, the thing he's not really given an opportunity to do that because I don't want to get spoilery already. But like, there's there's no Batman in this film, for huh? example. So that's why, that's why I hated this film. <laughs> so obviously, this film has undergone a lot of controversy since its public release, for better or worse, predominantly worse. For this film has apparently been criticised as an incredibly overly violent film. However, I'm inclined to say that it was not that violent. What do you Could boys think? More nah, it's not that violent. I was shocked with how not violent it was. I was like, is this fucking PG shit I'm looking at? I was like, <laughs> with the hype of how violent this film was, I was expecting I mean, some look, finger the- cutting off and some fucked up look, the, mutilation. The violence in it is very weighted. That was Jack's chair breaking. That scared the shit out of me. Um, the, but th- there's not a lot of it. You know, when you think of Taxi Driver, you figure how violent that end scene is. And it's like, it's kind of like that, but it's it's stretched out into the two-hour runtime. So. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I, think, I think people are just going absolutely nuts. And obviously, this isn't because of obviously the shooting that happened with the Dark Knight Rises screening. But I feel like, Jack, could you please stop doing that? <laughs> I feel like it's just, this response is just, it's just strange to me. 
because I mean it comes of back the premise to, of the film. I honestly tell you what, it's been ten years since Dark Knight Rises. Or yeah. pretty close to ten years. No, seven twenty twelve. Seven. Seven okay. In those seven years, we have undergone a lot of changes in the world around us. I just don't um, think people are used to a movie about... Like, everyone's used to that Disney shit. No one's used to a movie about a fucked up guy doing fucked up stuff. I mean, so to them, it's like, wow, what what's happening? Didn't you see a post earlier today, Jake? Uh, and although we <laughs> we did argue that this might be a trolling post, I'm uh, sure that there is a percentile of people that have legitimately bought children. To see this film. Yeah, I saw a post in one of these Facebook groups. I mean, when a guy brought his eight-year-old kid to the film, not knowing uh, what to expect, then he had to walk the kid out. But that wouldn't even really... F- I don't even in. think this would fuck with me if I was a kid. I would just be so bored watching it. I think that's actually why he brought him out at first, because yeah. it was bored, more so than the violence. Even but... adults have mm. been bored during this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, obviously, we saw this film, firstly, all together. Oh, uh, on Thursday, so we had a few days to digest. Absolutely, and I've then seen it, I've seen it twice. You've also, you've both seen it. No, you've seen it twice, but what? your parents no. saw no, it. I saw it once. And my yes. parents saw it and they hated it. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, no. they said it was the second worst movie they've ever seen in their life. Whoa! What's like, the worst film? Uh, Thin Red Line. <laughs> I don't know what that is. What is that? Like? Really? But must be really bad, or it must be great <laughs> according to their logic. Thin Red Line's a pretty widely acclaimed film. Well, there you go. They hate good movies. <laughs> mm. So this film. Directed by Todd Phillips, who obviously has a bit more of a comedic background. I've written some of his credits down because there were some really interesting ones in here. So he helped produce Project X. Weird. And The Star is Born, the one that came out last year. Obviously, his relationship with um, Bradley Cooper. From Hangover. Was, yeah, was part mm-hmm. of that. He co-wrote Borat and Jude. Wait, what? Yeah, and Hangover's Part 2 and 3. And, of course, he directed like Jude. all three of them. No, Jude is boring. Wait, so wait. Did Bradley Cooper produce The Joker in return? I, I think he it. did. I saw his name in the credits, Bradley yeah. Cooper. Yeah, I think he did partly produce this film. How about that? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Um, co-written by Scott Silver. Um, and obviously a very clear homage to Scorsese films. Uh, Wait, not who some... also was a producer? Uh, he was at a point. Okay. I don't know if he got a is final he not... credit, no, but he, he was involved credited. early on. He he's credited as a producer in the film. Mate, is he? Yeah. But I think it, it would be the same as just like... He well, just, he, yeah, he I know like, he... You can use the King of Comedy script and make it the Joker. Fuck it. The... <laughs> But uh, I know he left before they started shooting, but I guess of course, his footprint is still in there. Jack, you have raised a valid point. It is just as well. We did do King of Comedy last week on the show. Because the same because movie. there is a lot of similarities between this film and that one. And Taxi Driver. And so I, Taxi Driver. I bet it like, quite well there. Is that even... Is that? It's not really a bad thing, though, is it? It's like... No, it's not. Some people every, think it's a bad thing. Every Everyone complains about reboots when they don't do anything new. So if, you, if they did this as just a reboot of King of Comedy, I still think it would be a good film. I'm inclined to say that most people... As much as they'd like to think that they want to cry that, oh, it's just a remake of King of Comedy, most people haven't actually seen the King of Comedy. <laughs> That's true. So I just don't think there's anything wrong with remaking a film. Like, if anything, this is a really interesting way to remake a film. Like, if they, if Todd Phillips came out and said, yes, I remade King of Comedy, but I put the Joker in it, fuck you. It's an, it, it, I That's basically to, what he did. It's just, it's, an interesting, it's, say. it's just an interesting way to reboot a film. If anything, it's given something like the King of Comedy more spotlight than I, it honestly, ever got. If yeah. someone had said King of Comedy to me last year, I would have no idea what they're talking about. But so many people in the world know what King of Comedy is now mm. because this film is being compared to it. Yeah, and it, and it's funny because, like, obviously the people that want to cry, like, reboots and stuff, you know, you've got, like, the fair amount of Cinebuffs that would have seen King of Comedy and, like, sure, they can push their glasses closer to their head and be like, oh, cool, it's just the remake. But at the end of the day, I think these films both have enough uh, differences to be, like, both standalone entertaining films. I, I mean, I like... We both... We all sang... Their praises for King mm. of Comedy last week, yeah. and I'll probably sing the praises for this film this week. Well, someone so. asked me, someone asked me the other day, and they said like, "Oh, do I need to watch 
King of Comedy or, you know, that kind. And I said, no. I'm like, no, they're clear homages. And I said, I'm like, the only thing maybe is you get a bit of a kick out of the De Niro kind of role in the film. But that's literally it. Like, not plot-wise or anything like that, you're not going to get anything really extra mm-hmm. out of it necessarily. Yeah. So, yeah. Apart from, obviously, a thing that we'll touch on a bit more in the spoiler part of the yeah, yeah, well, the, the, the exactly. And I got some notes about that too. But... Yeah. So, Jake, did you have an alternate opinion after your second viewing? Of... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't walk away with much more after a second view. Like with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I I needed to watch that twice to see, to know if I even liked the film at all. And it ultimately did come out. I was like, yes, I'm glad I watched it a second time. This one, I I walked away being like, yeah, I probably didn't even need to watch it a second time to be honest. I kind of knew what I like, and I think I think ultimately it met my expectations. It didn't exceed them. But it met my very high expectations, and I actually thought it was a very well-crafted film. Absolutely. I thought the scripts, the more I think about it, the script, the narrative, there's nothing horribly special about it, but everything else about the making of the film, the production side, is excellent. Yeah, and I mean, we had a really good conversation after our viewing, and that left me when, uh, obviously, all said and done, walked away from this, Mm. and had a a solo think about the film. It, It basically left me with, I didn't need to see the film again, really. I have no motivation to revisit this film anytime soon, maybe perhaps in a few years from now, um, you know, when it's just sitting on the shelf and it's uh, it goes in the sort of Scorsese sort of uh, vault of, oh, I'd like to pick up and watch Goodfellas or yeah. Wolf of Wall Street again or maybe Joker because this film is, I want to flat out say it's, it probably isn't worth an R rating. I think it's vastly over well, the top. Well, technically it's MA over here. Is it? Yeah. I thought it was R. No, here. it's MA here. Okay. It's an American R. Okay. Which is a lot lighter than an R in Australia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, an MA, I think, is justifiable. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not an M. So if it's an MA, then that's fine. Um, I would I would definitely, if this was given an R, I would say it was vast over the overstepping of the, the board's bounds. It's not that bad. I think Hateful Eight, honestly, is far more violent and gratuitous than this film is, mm. just in the whole, between dialogue and violence in the film. Would you agree with that, Jack? Uh, yeah. Mm. It's on, on, <laughs> uh, this film to me should have been hecka more violent. Yeah. This film being put on pedestal is like this fucked up film, and maybe it says something about how we're all desensitized. But it wasn't that fucked up. It was like super like reserved. Yeah, it was. It was more a psycho analytical push to madness more yeah. than mm. a violent. You could have done it. You could do a cut of this film. That's M easy. If you just got rid of the CGI blood and just had it as not just don't have blood coming out of the back of people's heads it's a ma film or m film but at, at that like i mean i know we're getting into this discussion because of all the political context but it's like why would anyone want to do that there is so much weight really well done weight put into the murders into the violence in this film why would you take you any know of that I'm, annoyed? I'm just annoyed it wasn't a bit it just went a bit further with the violence and also i wanted to see joaquin phoenix's penis i'm gonna be honest if he's a real no, actor wait what <laughs> He's, he's, got, he's lost all that weight. He's all fucked up looking. I this... thought we'd see some fucking nudity in this film with Joaquin's dick hanging out, you know? Yeah, you want to like really Why gritty though? it up. Because that's vulnerable. He's a vulnerable character. Seeing him walk around naked, vulnerable. A mentally ill character uh, too, even. Imagine with him dancing around his apartment, but his dick's just hanging out. That's good. Yeah. That's uh, filmmaking. Okay, that's enough. a filmmaking. That's movie magic, Jake. I feel like this you, film, okay. it walks a really fine line between like, is it really an indie? Would this film be considered an probably indie the highest film? budgeted indie film <laughs> oh, of all time? Oh, indie darling called Joker. No, but yeah. I do want to talk about that. The film's budget around fifty-five to sixty-four million. That's kind of the range. That is perfect. 
That is a perfect budget right there. That we don't not, need a that's free, not an indie film. We need, I know, but we don't need a $300 million budget shit for everything. Mm-hmm. Literally. And, and the opening weekend numbers, we found this out this I morning, Jack. Million. Over $200 million opening weekend. Yeah. That is enormous. Like I hope, I'm hoping DC is like at this point, okay, or even every every single comic book fucking company can be like, okay, so we have darker characters. Let's make darker stories and just give them less money. Like how hard is that to figure out? Blumhouse fucking makes films for like 10 million and they just make 50 of them and then one of them makes a zillion dollars and they're like yeah we're good paid off a bunch of really just make a bunch of low budget films so we get some original unique kind of edgy risky ideas and then one of them will pay off and you'll make your money back because that's how films should be i'm sick of i'm sick of it i agree no i agree because like at the end of the day if we keep putting out these 300 billion dollar marvel films 300 billion well Whoa. i mean <laughs> we're day. gonna get there one day you know and the fact of the matter is that if if one of them starts to fail, this is what happened with DC with these the Bollywood you know, production. They, well, this is what happened with the, you know Batman v Superman yeah. stuff. Like they didn't they didn't crack, crack the billion dollar bloody aim that they were going for. I was kind of saying that, and they're going to crumble. I was saying that to you earlier today, kind of when I was saying like, there's so many versions of Superman live action mm. now, and they're all on TV. But there's no versions of Batman on TV because for some reason they think that Superman can do. Yeah, Adam West in the day. Yeah, but like, but not anymore. Like, the, for, I mean, right. the, their excuse is they can't afford to do Batman for TV. But you can afford to do a fucking alien that can fly and shoot lasers, and but you can't do Batman. Like, see Man of Steel. True. Like, if they just had imagine a Daredevil style show with Batman, it would be so easy. But for some reason, DC is like, no, we only make Batman movies because we need to give them a hundred million. Probably blame dollars. Nolan for that, to be honest. Yeah, but you could make a Batman movie mean? for fifty million. Uh, Nolan's probably like. He made it, epics with Batman. Like, yeah, especially in the DC realm of thought. Between Iron Man, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, that sort of area. I mean, that's where the birth of these things came from. The Dark Knight Rises is a straight-up epic. Like, that's yeah. an insane oh, yeah, scale film. But you could make a Batman film for $60 million if you wanted to. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess it, I guess the studios weren't stupid. Yeah. I guess you have a good point there. I mean, I, I, I think this film, I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, It's a, I'm not going to call this an indie film because it's not. Because I think John Wick pretty much had it the same budget. It feels like an indie film, though. John, yeah. John Wick essentially had, I think, almost the same budget, especially the the first one, not so much the second. I think the second one had 80. I think, no, I think they were similar budgets. I think those are the kind of movies they don't give bigger for, budgets to. I think, it's thir- think it was it's 30, 60, and 80 between the three. I think it gets more... The, the longer okay, it's gone. So but the second one's closest to the Joker budget? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, I know... But, um, that's a perfect budget in my mind. 50, 60 million. Yeah, but cool. it's not indie, I don't think. And It should be. It should go back to the old days when it was like, you got like one epic every couple of years, you know? Mm. Like it wasn't mm. every single film that came out has to be this huge budget thing and half of them are going to flop. Mm. It should be like, we get a bunch of these movies, like we just get a bunch of movies with like 50 million, 30 million, a bunch of like stories, and then, oh, fuck... This huge film is coming out, not fucking, oh, every two weeks we have this insane budget well, film. Well, I, I think we, we talked about, I mean, yeah, like we've talked about, like we obviously the Disney greed in particular, um, I think we addressed it around the mid-year mark when at that point I think there was seven movies that got over a billion yeah. and six of them were but even, Disney films or even something with like that. that. Yeah. Cinema, cinema is failing, like movies aren't making as much as they used to. Yeah, but that's because of those films. Yeah, well, I'm saying that's why we need to change the way, like we can't, they should be like, oh, fuck, we can't just make every movie for $200 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should probably be smarter and then occasionally be the ones who make a billion off that. Because you can still yeah. make a billion off 60 million. Like if you make a 60 million I mean, film, it's good enough. You can I don't make think a billion. This mil- I don't think this film's going to get a billion, no, but, but if it's, you- it's, this is really good for it. This opening This film weekend. though is also taking a lot of screen time away from smaller films, even oh, in its own it. right. I mean, this yeah, film... But that's the nature of the beast anyway. Absolutely. But 
and obviously cinemas have got to do what they've got to do to make money. But, I mean, I'm not so fussed with this film because this film's only been given, I think, three or four days of prime time cinema time, whereas things like Endgame and stuff got two, three weeks. They got just months. They dominated, yeah. the, the like, the Hoyts especially, like, screening times. And, I mean, I, like, I, I wanted, like, to go see Downton, which was... Downton Abbey, which was playing in Hoyt cinemas, and it got shelved for only two or three days for Joker. But if that had been on in the Endgame time slot, it would not have seen Hoyt's it's a light, light of day. Of day. Well, yeah, that's, that's why you have other movie studios now. Now they know what to look out for. It's in, it's in the same like vein as like if you run a video game business, you don't mm. release a game within a month of a GTA release. Like it's the same logic yeah. here, yeah. but now you play it to, like Marvel films and stuff. I mean, you just don't try. Yeah, it's it. I think there was a couple of films that we talked about around the Endgame time slot that got beaten quite easily that probably shouldn't have. That were yeah, I don't, I don't remember to be exactly, honest. Exactly, because that's how much it's in your head that yeah. Endgame was just that month of the year. And it's a shame, because you're right, Jack. We should only have one blockbuster year. We go back to that and original Disney summer blockbuster. trying to make their own blockbusters. Like, uh, Disney every year or every couple of years is like, Disney presents... Jungle Cruise, like with The Rock, Jungle and that movie is not going to make money. Like, Wait, is that a real film? The Rock is doing a movie called Jungle Cruise with Emily Blunt, based I on a ride that, at Disneyland, and it's meant to be the next Pirates of the Caribbean. But The Rock isn't really like breaking tomorrow, in that much money anymore. Uh-huh. Like The Rock's movies don't do that well anymore, like Skyscraper and stuff. And also, just Disney original films like A Wrinkle in Time, Artemis Fowl, all these fucking cringe Disney original stories based on their classic uh, IP. Never do mm. well, because people are like, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be a big, bland CGI. It's going to be very inclusive. It's going to have no edge to it. It's just this fucking safe blockbuster movie. Mm. Fuck those movies, is what I'm trying to say. You know? It's nah, a joker. It's... <laughs> oh, yeah. well, this, is, this is all a part of... It's good. I know, but I, fe- we should, I think we should get into the... Absolutely. We can, we can get into talking about more of the, the film plot points. So all, all of us here enjoyed it. We all walked out either yep. expectations fulfilled or... Jack, did they exceed your expectation in this film? No, I fulfilled it. I was super hyped for it. And then I saw it. I was like, yep. <laughs> and exactly isn't it nice it not to be disappointed when you have the hype for a film? Yeah, and def- you're just... definitely at this point, it was nice to you know, not be disappointed. Because you're almost looking out for that false flaw in the film. How long was the film again? Was it uh, Two hours and two minutes, I, I definitely think Once Upon a Time so in Hollywood left that taste in a lot of people's mouths. Yeah, I think, um, I think Hollywood, it's, just, it's messy and it drags a little bit. Yeah. Like, it's still a really well-made film, but... There was a huge hype for that film. There was a film. lot of hype for it, yeah. Huge hype. So, I mean, and I think this one, I think Joaquin's definitely going to get a nomination. Perhaps the oh, Academy he, will shy away from I him. I love the design of the Joker in this movie. It's, like, iconic already. Mm. Yeah. Just the, like his look and everything? Just everything. Yeah, the, the when he's in that makeup, that shot of him standing, like, thinking at the back of the stage with that blue light. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's going to be framed Fantastic. in people's houses because that's a beautiful... Well, that's it, an important shot. That's just such shot. an iconic shot. We'll, we'll get to it later down the line, but that shot is almost the, the catalyst to what he ends up doing yeah, at the end like, of the film. When he's reconsidering what he's about to do, yeah. where he's like, fuck, I think I know what I'm about to do. Fuck, I want to go watch the movie again right now. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you guys. I'm, ha- I'm happy after my second viewing. Like, I'm glad I did watch this second time. Mm-hmm. And I walked out being like, I didn't really get much new out of that experience, but I was glad I watched it a second time just to experience it again, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of great moments in this so, film. So, I mean, like, bef- like, before we get more into plot points, obviously we had a conversation post-movie about where we might see this thing popping up in the Oscars. We all talked mm. about uh, some of the big pluses to this film was its cinematography. Yep. Um, beautiful, it's, beautiful yep, film. It's a 
composition or it's like music composition so like who composed I think, the soundtrack I think the soundtrack is the thing that deserves an Oscar the most that is really even more than Phoenix that much. even more than Phoenix's performance I really? think a soundtrack should be best soundtrack soundtrack didn't stand out that much to me are you gonna give a shout out to the person that composed it <laughs> I'm gonna it try go? now I literally listened to this name being pronounced and I still couldn't get it uh, Hildra Gona Duati Oh, sorry guys um, but she did the soundtrack for like The Revenant and Chernobyl and she did the soundtrack Ooh, for this film the, and I, it is phenomenal I remember The Revenant one being quite subtly good I remember particularly that like hardy DiCaprio fight at the end having like I a mean, real like yeah so she did the she, she did the original music and I thought even the source music a lot of the music that they kind of take uh, very 70s feel to it even though the film takes place in 81 but I loved mm. all of that although there was a very weird um, I, I don't know if I'll consider this a spoiler. It's a very interesting moment is when they play Rock and Roll Part 2 uh, and he dances to it on the stairs. That's the song they play over that yeah, scene. Yeah, that felt weird to me That as was well. a really odd choice. That felt, uh, that felt like, I was like, wait, did we just jump 10 years ahead of music? Because it felt very like Well, that actually came rest. out in the 70s, that track, I found out. It just felt so more high yeah. energy than any other, other music in the film. I remember particularly, yeah, there was another weird music cue and it might be the prelude to the stair scene was when he's walking down the hallway and there's that big cinematic shot of him walking down the apartment yeah that's hallway. that's when that cue starts yeah and then that leads in the set that sequence yeah. yeah that was a weird that felt like choice. a comedy film where it was like it, well that song's been played in especially the Monty, what... meet the fuckers happy gilmore like that's where that's where this song is it usually used. used it's almost like the uk like he may as well go, turn around that corner and acdc's back in black starts playing <laughs> It's like the same sort of vibe I got from yeah. it. Yeah. Or like Cherry Pop from like Guardians. Yeah. Like when they're like walking no, yeah. down the hallway and it's like, yeah, Cherry yeah. Pop, yeah. Like it's the same sort of vibe and it's like, wow, that was really high energy for this film out of nowhere. I didn't like that one. That was like one of the few bits I was like, oh, like in the trailer, like I do want to mark, like put a note next to how good that trailer is. A tra- if if mm. Oscars got trailers, like was there a trailer for, they should get an Oscar for the trailers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are like awards for trailers. Yeah. I think like it's a very like hidden sort of award show. In, but I feel like the there industry is one. award show. If we're going to yeah. try and do an Oscars category for best what popular film or whatever the flip yeah. flop that was, let's do it. Let's get a trailer <laughs> well, category going. Just becomes, they like, should, the they MTV, best trailer. That just becomes MTV Movie Awards. Like the best trailer. <laughs> I suppose. The I, I star. There is honestly an art to trailers because like absolutely you, first off you're well. you're trying to sell something mm-hmm. but you're also trying to keep it uh, you're trying to translate the tone of the story and everything and you're also trying to keep it under wraps you're trying and, to not and spoil Joker's anything trailer was like a breath of fresh air it was like a yeah. thing that literally we didn't know what the f- fuck was going to happen i mean we we had multiple conversations about what we thought the ending was going to be yeah. did any of us anticipate the ending yes. i kind of did uh let do you want to call it spoilers now if we yeah. talk about the ending yeah we can go like beats Cool. So, spoiler um, talk. Spoiler alert. Yeah, wave your um, hands around. Steve. So, <laughs> Murray. Yeah, no one can see it. So, Murray. Um, obviously, De Niro, who runs this uh, comedy show that mm. that um. That you mean Arthur, uh, Rupert Pumpkin? Rupert Pumpkin. He finally made it, guys. Yeah. Um, no, but Arthur Fleck idolizes him, and there's even a dream s- sequence at the start, or kind of a not a dream sequence, mm. but it's it's his imagination, and this is where we get real King of Comedy vibes when he imagines himself in the audience. And he, he laughs with the crowd. And that is my favourite laugh in the whole film, is his laughter in that. And he's invited on stage and he tells the story how he looks after his mother and mm. everyone loves him, you know. And I, I just, I love that whole setup. But it leads into him properly being invited onto the show because his failed stand up routine was played for laughs and he's actually invited onto the show. Mm-hmm. So this was fascinating scene because it went in a lot of places that I didn't expect it to go before going to the place where I expected it to go. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. Obviously, he kills Murray. I mean, a huge uh, point up until this point for Arthur's character was he was kind of borderline suicidal for a, a mm. decent portion of the film. Yeah. Um, mentally unstable after he was taken off his medications due to budgetary cuts. Um, mm. Huge talking points of this film are obviously like class differentiation Mental through health. the 1% and the 99% which is talked about like the wealth disparity particularly in the United States is quite huge between the the poorest and the and the rich and um this film definitely wants to touch on that and start a conversation if you will with this film um I don't know if I necessarily agree that Arthur is a very good sh- is he really a good showcase for change in this film? I don't know if a routine what do you going... Mean? Well, like, his routine goes viral, and that's what sort of inspired... Like, between the routine and, hit, obviously, the train killings, which... The train killings are what does it. I don't think the routine is inspiring anyone. They're just laughing at him. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't know that's him until he reveals it on the show, like that he's also the guy that killed the people. Okay. Yeah. I guess, was a, I guess if a guy dresses as a clown kills some rich people, someone might be like, oh, fuck. Because when, when people started dressing as clowns a few years ago, everyone started dressing as clowns. So if one yeah, of them that was a natural someone, thing. Should we explain that? That was no, a natural thing that fuck. happened here. <laughs> no, we had literal clowns two years in a row come out around Halloween time. Because one person did it and then everyone Dude, it's going to happen this people. time too. Yeah. But no, that it's and it's the response that the um, Thomas Wayne character, he comes out and, you know, calls them clowns you know and mm. cowards and that and that's what kind of rises people mm. up they want to fight against the rich well, it's definitely a group think sort mm. of thing where in society we often just domino effect after each other if, if this there's... movie is based in 81 yep and and the the batman movie is rumored to take place in the 90s no please and Joaquin no phoenix said he's please open no. he said he's open to playing this character again yeah, I'm but, thinking it's not that much of an age difference. Just grey his well, hair the, up a little bit. The thing is that both Phillips and, and Phoenix, originally, I'm not going to speak for them now, of course, especially after the they success of said, this film. Fuck no. They didn't want to do that at all. They both wanted like this has to be a singular, self-contained thing. They theme. said there's just so much you can do with this character that they're really... Like, Joaquin said if they hadn't, if they hadn't told him they had to stop filming, they'd still be filming to this day because mm-hmm. there's just so much you can do with this character. So he's like, if there was ever a point where Todd came up to me and was like, yeah, I've got another story, and it was good enough. He would, he's like, I would, without hesitation, I would play this character. Especially again. if the studio gets behind him. If I can, oh, the studio will at this point. Imagine he, Joaquin the reads returns. the Batman script. He's like the new definitive Joker. Yes, please. I just, I just don't want to. I just don't want to see it extend. You know, I'm happy yeah. with this self-contained. I'm happy thing with that, it, but how amazing would it be if this was this quality of film was the origin story to a bad guy I in a superhero it, film? That'd be like if Thanos had an Oscar-worthy film a film about him before Endgame. Yeah, but like we could like, wow. we could almost make the same argument for Heath Ledger's Joker if if the unfortunate event didn't happen to Heath Ledger's and Joker made a film like in this real life. Heath Ledger, there could have been a fourth Batman film in the Nolan. Well, he was franchise. going to be a part of Rises. That he was, was meant to be. That the, was always so the thing. There you go. The and we might not be speaking as highly about Heath Ledger's Joker had he come back for a return. So, like, there's that argument to be made. But, like, if this... That movie would have been incredibly cluttered if it was Joker, Bane, I think it would have been Catwoman. a completely different story. No, I think they yeah. would have just made him the... You know that scene where they go to the the the, the hole and the guy goes... They, he decides if they get exiled to the ice in the Dark Yeah, Rises. yeah. That would have just been the Joker. He would have been broken judge. out of Arkham during that the ju- riot The stuff, judge would have yeah. been the Joker for sure because that felt like a very Joker moment. But, look, to take it back to here, like, I, I like that it's a self-contained... Yeah. Film and especially because of the themes it's tackling you know, with with mental illness and all that, it just it 
it feels like this film's trying to say something so much wider about telling people to start about, caring. Uh, you know, the joke society. Mm. And I feel like it's going to lose that if all of a sudden it's now part of this wider scoped DC crap. I just think it would blow my mind if because the, the a hero is only as good as his villain in a superhero film. And if your villain has a Oscar-worthy origin story film, then it would be like you don't even have to do anything with his character when you bring him into Batman. He's just already this iconic character. And, I mean, I, I mean, oh, we'd man. like to like you raise a really good. You both raise really good points, and it's it's really interesting because this film talks about, or at least between the lines, it talks about the lack of compassion that society has for each other. Um, even the people that are all a part of, like the poor in this, mm. they may rise together, but they are all kind of rising as individuals because they're all expressing their own selfish desire to rebel against those who had it well off, whereas the people that are well off constantly putting them down. I don't think there's unity in this film. I think they're all just rising because they, I guess they do have the same cause, but it's all for an own self-desire. I mean, no one really likes each other in this film at all, even the p- people that are all at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, like, it, to the point where literally Arthur's character manifests an entire relationship with someone who literally did a gesture to him in an elevator, mm. you know, like... And that could be played on his mental illness, but that's also played on how solitary every character is in this. Even at his workplace, no, none of the clowns really like him. Most of them actually think he's quite weird and want to get him fired to the point where one of the characters is actually the catalyst for why he gets fired. My boy Randall. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even... Uh, and the only other character that shows any slight remote compassion is more out of the fact that he's mentally ill and, and the other character has a deformity in its own life being being small or miniature so i mean it's it it comes back to like no character in this everyone is selfish in this universe even though the ending is they're all together i I think it's more out of the fact that they're all rebelling out of their own misfortune but i think i think that's interesting in itself because the fact that they are kind of uniting and riding and you know i i kind of argue i feel like that is a catalyst for them to kind of find but, similarity in each other and then it's it's all the violent horrible stuff that brings them together i guess Same but, with it's all, but it's also the result of but it's arthur's not doing it for anyone but himself too yeah, every action he does is out of himself and everything that happens around him is a ripple effect of his own selfish actions mm. to defend himself to fight back on his own accord to you know do all of, everything arthur does in the film he does for himself or a result of defending himself and every like the society that collapses around him is all based on their own individual problems that they are now taking out on someone that is probably partly to do with the cause, but is really just a way of channeling the energy. And that's that's sort of reflected in the world we live now. And I, I like how Phillips is sort of aligned that a lot of us, we're, we're constantly talking about big movements, like, mm. for example, climate change or gun control. But, you know, there's still that lack of compassion about the person down the street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, he even has that line, you know, if that was me who died instead of those three guys on the train, you would all just walk over me. Yeah. That's a line in the film. You're so, right. And I, I think that's interesting that we're always uniting under big causes and the group think, yet we don't have any sort of individual or solo compassion for one another. And that's what this film's trying to, like, say, I think. That's my interpretation yeah. of it. No, least. absolutely. I think it's very valid because you're right. There's a lot of selfishness and a lot of um, kind of individualization going on here. And yeah. You know, and again, the rise through violence, the rise through these awful things, it's like, is that really what I mean, it takes for us to unite? You, know? you take both ends of the spectrum. You've got people like Thomas's Wayne character who wants to become mayor, but he doesn't want to become mayor to help the people. He wants to become mayor because 
He wants a bit more power. He yeah. wants to take care of the more well-off people and control the population as as he will. Like, well, that, that kind of leads me to something I want us to kind of open floor discuss is all the stuff with Thomas Wayne. He's a very prominent, important character in this film. He has mm-hmm. a lot. He, I wouldn't say a lot to do, but he is quite important in in the you, the the movement plotline and, and the, of just course, his arc in yeah, general. and Arthur's um arc in general with the. Is he's his father? No, he's not his father. That whole thing. Did we like this? Absolutely. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think people are going to get hung up on the fact that it's like, oh, it's just fucking Bruce Wayne and Arthur Wayne, whatever, all mm. over again. Thomas Wayne, sorry. It's like, mm. oh, it's just that all over again. But like, I mean, this it, could is the be, best part. it could be generic, two generic rich people. Like, it could be a rich was, guy and I was rich person. About to say son. The best part about this film is the names are interchangeable. You could, it yeah. just feels like someone made a good film and then we're like, but what if we just painted the Joker's face and made him the Joker? And then what if we changed these characters' names to be comic book characters as well like i don't mm. I feel like th- this story works regardless of who what character they're playing mm. like it's not retreading anything it's not just doing it for the sake of it being fucking I mean, homaging batman or anything it's just like, yeah. honestly it comes back to i think this film had the joker never existed had those comic books never existed mm. this film would still exist just with different yeah it would, it would just be just, a guy who might be, paint his face as well but he wouldn't be called the he joker. might even be called the joker but like let's say like MCU, all that jazz, MCU, mm. DCU, never existed. Comic books never existed. This film would actually exist, unlike films like anything from the MCU. I mean, they might exist in certain Yeah, but you, you mean in terms of the actual plot line still works Absolutely. away from all the superhero yeah, jazz. You take the names out. Yeah. You take the caricature out, or even keep the caricature of a Joker in, but don't, refer, make, don't make it a reference to a comic. Because by changing... The names of of the Wayne characters, or any of the characters, or Gotham, in yeah. which replace all of those things that are associated with Batman's. Universe. Yeah, you just call it New York. You just call it Thomas Kane. You know, yeah. like yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you, you and then you want. but and then just use the Joker as a formulation for exactly what the Joker is in this film. He is something that's made a mockery of. He's yeah. laughed at and doesn't want to be seen in that representation anymore. Like, that's really what Joaquin Phoenix is doing here. He wants to entertain people, but he doesn't want to be laughed at. Mm. Well, it was exciting. That plays into a lot of the dancing, which I want to get into a minute as Mm -hmm. well. But um, that was the thing I told people before going into this movie. I was most excited about the fact that there is going to be no Batman in this film, that none of that is a a tackle part of the story. And it kind of led me towards, because getting back into the ending, they do show the alleyway scene. Of I guess we assume that that's just Joe Chill, who's now a Absolutely. kind of a Joker kind of oh. fanatic, if you will, um, or an upriser, and he kills Thomas and Martha it's Wayne. The biggest, biggest part I don't and like. That's the thing. I walked out of that being like, "Did we really need this?" I whispered it to you. I was like, "Do we really need yeah. this?" And I remember t- talking to you, Jack. Yeah. And you kind of reminded me that at the end of the day, this film, compare comparatively to these other DC films or anything like that, is still massively restrained. It's still mm-hmm. so impressive it how much they pull away. Like when when I saw the them walking out the opera and you see Zorro, mm. the gay blade, or yep, whatever it yep. was called, and it's like, okay, we, I know where this is going. But at the same time, like, it goes back to what I was saying before. It's like he could be murdering anyone. It's like a part of Joker's arc. Like they, this doesn't have to be Bruce Wayne and right. his parents getting killed. It could just be a guy killing someone important, and it's like, oh. Obviously, well, the arc is made well, to be more important when you realise that the well, Joker created yeah, Batman. The argument but... is that, like, yeah, and yeah. that plays both sides of it. If he wasn't Thomas Wayne and he was just Bruce McRichman, yeah. and it's like... <laughs> it would have like, no impact on the story, really. But, well, but it that, would, it would yeah. affect the story because that character gets his comeuppance as a result exactly. of pushing yeah. I think there's an extra layer to it being Bruce is, like, holy... Like, you kind of get the idea of, like, oh, the Joker created 
the guy that would eventually stop him. Yeah, exactly. So it's there a bit is more that interesting. extra. I agree, but you're you, but you're also right, Zeke, in the sense that yeah, because Thomas Wayne's an important enough character in the arc of the film, seeing his death in the film, regardless if it's like oh god, the alley we're seeing again, it's important. It's Absolutely. important we see that it's death. Actually, so I can it's kind actually of motivated it. more probably than the Nolan and the like, Snyder it's ones. It's probably more interesting. Well, definitely more than the Snyder one for sure. That same origin we've seen a hundred times. It's probably more interesting in this movie because the other movie is like oh, this is what created Batman. Yeah. In this movie, it's like. This one event of uh, the Joker, like just killing a bunch of guys, harassing him on a train, spot like you know where this story ends up, and it's sort of interesting to see how that was the catalyst to what eventually will be this huge epic mm. story of this guy who dresses up as a bat. Mm-hmm. So I think it adds an extra layer for us nerds to be like, holy fuck! <laughs> like this is just like this tiny thing is the catalyst for this whole. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I don't want to see another Joaquin Phoenix film. But if it is going to happen, which let's be honest, how great would it be? It if probably Robert will. Uh, yeah, um, unfortunately, it probably will. Uh, I don't want them to revisit it in the following I mean, film. They do I don't want to see a a Patterson sitting there contemplating, thinking about this scene, and we have to relive this scene again. You know, That's if they, do, if they do the Robert Patterson film and they play that exact scene again, but dude, I just hate that. Out of anyone you'd want to play Batman against, Joaquin being a Joker, Patterson. Hanson. The acting, the acting fight they would be having, the act off they'd be having, would be superb. But, but it would be superb. You know, I, another, just, I, I know they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. I know, even if they did, I just know they would he's got, probably. He's got stuff other it villains up. that have never been really I know, done. And they properly. do the Joker over, even he's not that interesting of a character. Right. But give still, it to Penguin. He's a very interesting. If they do another Joker it. movie, they're going to do it like ten years from now when he's a bit older, and it's going to be a story a bit. Further. They're not going to do it right away. I don't think. Especially given the ending of this film. Mm. Where um, and sort of has a equally ambiguous ending, I think, even to King of Comedy. Right. I think it leaves it open, not as open ended as King of Comedy, but it's more just like, is he did he escape or is he still in jail? Really, at the end of this film. Yeah. Well, or I, th- was, I can think was it could go even that, wider than that. Was Was it all in his head? Was See, this whole rebellion just a? I mean, I don't think that is the case. I think mm. this is definitely yeah. like he's just this in happened, asylum. Yeah. But they do leave it. Just enough ambiguous that it leaves you sort of guessing. Now, here's he, this is actually one of the main takeaways I took from second viewing. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw that, I was like, "Oh, that you're right. That could be when he says like he's laughing. He's like, oh, you wouldn't get the joke, which is such a brilliant line if you mm-hmm. really think about it. And that it could have that, ended. That's there. another iconic Joker moment. Yeah. that would be such a good line in any Joker movie. It could have just ended there. We didn't even need the the shot after that, but. I thought being like, oh no, this could be a. You're right. It could lead to potentially being like, oh, this none of this. He's thinking this all in his head. Mm-hmm. Now the second time I watched it, I think it's a little more clear. He's laughing specifically about Bruce Wayne being orphaned because it literally cuts back to that shot while he's laughing. Well, I mean, because he's like, like, because he probably still thinks he's Thomas Wayne's son. So at this point, he's like, yeah, well, yeah, like that kid's in my boat now, motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck you. That's but that's kind of what I walked away from the second viewing. Also, uh, Todd Phillips actually has come out and said, like, oh, no, that's not my intention at all. But imagine. Okay. As in, like, the whole thing was a but big imagine. farce. Like, nah, he- imagine a scene in the next Batman movie where Batman first starts being Batman and it's on the news and the Joker's in the asylum laughing, being like, oh, fuck, I know where this came from, bitch. But you see, like, when even that premise you're saying, like, I just, I don't, that doesn't interest me one second. I just love Batman. Because this whole self-contained story is just brilliant. Yeah. Especially the follow-up scene with uh, him walking down a bleach-white hallway, the bloody feet, yeah, and then running up and down. Yeah, it's it's really great this film. And obviously, uh, shout out back to King of Comedy. The ending 
with Mari Franklin is sort of the ending that I think, did we talk about yeah, it on the show did. last week? Yeah, we did, and uh, this one Jerry Lewis sort of wanted. This is the ending he wanted out of King of Comedy. There you go, Jerry. I hope you're happy. Yeah. Wait, what happens at the end of King of Comedy? Well, so, basically, we don't, I don't think we need to get into it, but basically Jerry Lewis has come out and said, I want the King of Comedy to have ended much more like like he dies. Does he does wait the talk show host? Does he yeah. die? So, so Rupert, who De Niro's character, oh. ends up actually accidentally killing Jerry Lewis, who or killing him and then taking his place, sort of as if like no, hijacked. He, he, what do you mean? Well, it was killing. It was killing. Jer- like that's what Jerry Lewis wanted. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He that, wanted. Yeah. That the character of is it Jerry Langford? Yeah. Yes, Jerry Langford. Um, like pumpkin to actually that should kill him to kill him. Whereas what happens is he. Pupkin gets on the show, Lewis uh, Langford escapes, and then Pupkin gets arrested, but Fun. then gets his own show. He gets his own show a couple of years down the dot, road. Dot, dot, question mark. So, yeah. Well, it, it, comes, it comes back to he's disillusioned, and he it might be the case of he doesn't get a show, he's just in prison, but he thinks he got a show out of it. Because similar, similar to this film, there are plenty of scenes where we find out they're not real. Yeah. yeah, and one of the biggest examples in this film is obviously the I forget her name, but the girlfriend Zazie character Zazie Beats. Zazie Beats. Zazie Beats. Zazie Beats. Um, we see throughout the film that they kind of have a bit of a relationship uh, building, and then we find out it's all in his mind. Yeah, I mean, you pr- like there's there's one line that she says that's I think it's that line where she finds out about the three boys being dead, like killed on the bu- like oh, the yeah. train. And she goes like, I think fuck he's yeah. a hero. Fuck him, fuck him yeah, he's exactly. a hero. And it's well, that, that's why like... from that moment I knew that it was fake. I was like, well, obviously. Okay. It was a surprise for me. I didn't see it coming. I saw it coming. Just when she was like, fuck him. When everyone's agreeing with him, I was like, mm, some of this is fake. Even the things where it's like, you're not laughing at his jokes, but everyone in the audience seems to be laughing. I mean, yeah. it's like. Well, she has, she cuts to her smiling and then and all laughing. of a sudden it's coming yeah. together. Um, and then, of course, them having dinner, and she barely speaks. Other than that, you know, little line, she barely speaks from yeah. that point on. Well, it's after almost as if he doesn't know. Me. A lot of the side characters are very like in it for two seconds. Like, oh, they're they, very supportive. They got a lot of, of really incredible names this is for them to just sort of show. One hundred percent, a walking phoenix yeah. actors showcase. That's what you want? <laughs> if you haven't seen a phoenix film before this. Which, you know, I'd be surprised how many people haven't seen a Joaquin Phoenix film before. They're not this. exactly easy to get. The only movie I'd seen prior to Joker her. was her. Yeah. And then I watched The Master what? after Joker. Spartacus. Oh, no, Gladiator. Yeah. He's the bad guy in that. Oh, the big one. Really? Yeah. He's a bad guy in Gladiator. Yeah. Never knew that. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, look, look, look at that. Um, do we want to jump into highlight scenes or we got anything more um, before? Yes. I have a bunch of stray little things I noticed throughout. Just okay. little one-sentence things that I want to throw out there before we jump into highlight scenes. So one of them is that the stairs, the big famous stairs that he's dancing on the post and stuff, reminds me of The Exorcist every time. <laughs> I get that. I can understand that. I can understand yeah. that. This yeah. whole world Exorcist. feels a little Very exorcist-y. steep stairs. I'm like, oh, man. Very, I, think, like, I think that comes back to The Exorcist being The Exorcist. And it does so come back iconic, to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's on the Iconic scenes yeah. are always going to make you think. Absolutely. Like, um, about other things, yeah. So one of the, probably the most gruesome death in the whole film is when Randall is stabbed with scissors. Reminded me of us in a lot of ways, but mm. I thought it was ironic because he's obviously the one who gives Arthur the gun, mm-hmm. and he's one of the only deaths, on-screen deaths in the film where he doesn't die by a gun. It would have been cool, though, if he had shot him with that gun. Nah. <laughs> it would have been, gun, but I thought it was more interesting. No, he, he does shoot him with a gun, doesn't he? What, Randall? No. He yeah. gets stabbed with the scissors, and yeah. he pounds him against the wall. He shoots De Niro a bunch of times with the gun after he's killed yeah, him. That's yeah, it. he shoots De Niro, yeah. Um, and, of course, him choking his mum with the pillow is another exception to using the gun. That was the, the scene, right, that everyone was 
chucking a sock about. Was it? There was some. I, there was some reviews that were like, "There's a couple. There's like a scene in here where he goes too far, and you're like, was that really necessary? For like, you knew he was going to kill his mum. Yeah. Like, I, feel like, like, I feel like Randall's most, death was probably the most gruesome. I feel like the, when, he, when he killed his mum, it was like his Dude, liberation. The bad in the good, the bad, the ugly killed someone by smothering them with a pillow. I'd hardly call this like if that's apparently a a bad death scene. I'm I don't mean like bad. I think soft. it means more like, did he really need to kill his mum? Yeah. Like, yeah, he did. She he blatantly to lied to him, and he's mentally unstable. Yeah, sorry. He needs it's... that liberation of not having his mother. Yeah, especially given what he's about to do. Exactly, he doesn't want to. Yeah, experience it kind of leads, it. and that's the thing. He's looking to commit suicide. Almost the whole film, leading up until that shot we mentioned earlier, when he mm-hmm. he's watching on the TV being made fun of again. He's like, "No, I'm changing. I'm going to kill him instead." Um. Yeah. Few more observations I made. Giant titles when it comes up a joke, it fills the whole screen. I hated that. It just, it, well, yeah, it, it, it's overused. It took me back to my Civil War, Infinity War rants back they in the day. They do it all the time. Even right? Star is Born did a it. Star is Born. That's what I was like. Are we just doing this in every movie that's trying to be artistic now? Yeah. It means like, so much, the whole movie because it wants to be an epic. Classic Hollywood. Yeah, but ho- classic Hollywood could have just been like the Joker. You know, if you really wanted to homage like a Scorsese one, all of his titles are actually incredibly small. That's what I'm saying. Like Goodfellas is like, like. I'm making a gesture right now. It's like 10% of the screen. <laughs> well, even the credits, the opening credits are very small and they've got the little italic, yeah. super, super italic would, font I thought it was going to come up with a Joker and like really classy, like... Uh, Me too, yeah. Writing, writing sort of shit. Cursive. Uh, it did not do that. Um, when he walks past, I know you love this scene, Zeke, because when he walks past and he crosses out the, uh, the forget to, so don't it just says smile. don't smile. Well, I, nice I made an audible, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. I heard it, I heard it. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's what I do. I did that, I think, twice or three times in this film, but I just liked it. The it other like... one you did it for. Actually, I'll say, I'm sure it's your highlight scene, mm. so I'll let you explain it. And my last one is that when, when we're watching Murphy on the TV, when he's doing mm-hmm. his shows, it, it's all very pixelated, so it's clear that the camera's filming a TV screen. It's mm-hmm. a very pixelated, especially when it zooms in. But when we're watching the Charlie Chaplin footage in the theatre which I'm guessing is more of a homage to the Charlie Chaplin stuff, there's no pixelation whatsoever. It's They've literally just taken the clean footage and played it well, over one's the film. on a shitty TV and one's on film in a cinema. That's true, in a cinema. Yeah, I can. I guess I can, from an apparatus point of view, I can understand why it's a cleaner image. Because yeah. you're right, a cinema would be cleaner than an old 3x4 TV. But yeah, I don't know, just some stray observations I made throughout the film. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Highlight scenes, bitch. Highlight scenes. Jack, do you want to kick us off? My highlight scene was... It's an easy one. It was probably when he went to the show, to be honest. Full Joker makeup. Just the amount of times where he's staring at something. Mm. Or, like, they do a shot of what he looks like on the talk show from one of... Like, they would cut... They'd do an angle of one of the little TVs, and you'd see what Uh, he looks like on the screen. I was like, this is just so iconic. Mm. Like, I can imagine finding an old interview from the 80s with some crazy guy who dressed up. Like, you go onto, like, some risque website where you it type in... It would end in, up on YouTube 20 years later. Yeah, you it type would, in yeah. guy kills guy on TV show and this is what you'd find and you'd be creeped out while watching it. And to me, it was just such a cool... It was so cool. It Even feels authentic, yeah. His death is like, oh... I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> Shoot him a bunch more I times. Think, was it me and Yuzi? I think us two, especially in the theater, we were both just like, whoa! Yeah. When, when Murray gets shot in the yeah, face. I, it was so, I'm so happy we did the King of Comedy last week too, because oh, especially so, with our conversation perfect, with, the, yeah, with the, the death of Jerry Langford. And I hope I hope he gets to see it one way or another, Jerry Lewis, because he what? finally got the ending he wanted. God, are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take oh. this copy of The Joker on Blu-ray. <laughs> and take give it to, give it to Jerry. 
Give it to my boy Jerry Lewis. <laughs> oh no! Give it to my boy Jerry Lewis. I'll, I'll put one on his grave and summon him. Definitely one of the the, the big oh, ones Christ. that I really, really, really liked. Um, and I don't want to jump straight to the ending, but I'm going to jump straight to the ending. Guess Fair it. enough. Um, I guess so, so. Obviously, following uh, the death of Murray Franklin. Yep. Which is a huge uh, gunshot to the head, followed by multiple gunshots. Shot to the he head. gets arrested, obviously, at the show. He's in the back of a police car, and he's looking out the window, and there's riots going on. And he just, like, even the, the subtler lines in this where he's like, you did all this, oh, and wait. he's like, I know. I know I, I know what your scene is, right? Yeah. Is it when he's covered in blood and he makes a smile? Oh, and he that's makes a smile. Oh. <laughs> that was <laughs> the other audible Zeke moment. That's, that's another just... one that I would get framed. Another shot where it it's like, oh, that's like, an iconic so joke moment. Obviously, gets hit by it is an ambulance. He's pretty much at the point where you think he might almost be dead. Like, I thought out. he might have been dead at one point. I was like, that's awesome. They did look, like some Jesus symmetry with him. Like, they do that in every superhero movie. They love that shit. Yeah. Laid him on the car, but he got up, realized what was happening. He did his... Famous dance, which we could just talk about all those dancing mm, montages. He got, he got steps. Um, he got steps. Uh, and and he's got blood, and he dips it out of his mouth, and he makes a smile. And it iconic. Is just, so many. It, jokes, it, is, like, it, it is very clever. This it's film's a, biggest, like one word, some of this film is iconic. iconic. Like iconic. In, in twenty years, when the fucking new generation of Batman fans are like. Mm. I just discovered this old film called The Joker. It's fucking iconic. All this, sim- it's so iconic. <laughs> Everything about like I used to always say. I would a lot say of like hundred years of shit. You know how they do those the century of film of filmmaking. There'll be a lot. There'll I be, guarantee there'll be the shot. This of, century of filmmaking will the have next, that. The shot. next round of one thousand one films you have to watch yeah. see before you die. At the one hundred and fifty yeah. of Oscars, where they go, let's take a look back at films, and there, there'll be that shot of the Joker behind, backstage with the blue lighting, stroking his chin, and thinking about. And just and like, yeah, when, when when this is the great movie for Joaquin Phoenix is when he dies. This is his sizzle reel. Absolutely, just this film. Absolutely. Hopefully, that's a good fifty years. From hopefully, now. he 40, dies in a couple. Yeah, of years hopefully, it's a very it. long time away. Unlike yes. his brother from memory. Yeah, River. Yeah. Shout out River Phoenix. Shout out to River. Is that, um, you, my, I did. I did claim the highlight scene for the same reason I. I said earlier with the with that ending interview because it it goes so far away from what I thought was I. Felt like we were going to get a Murray shooting scene, but it spent so much time being a sit down, talking out the situation. Like he's like there, like telling the situation on the streets and what's wrong. And him and Murray kind of get into this like debate where Murray's almost like taking a political position where he starts questioning well, this crazy and here's, person. Here's a funny thing, hmm. um, and I want to tie it back to what I talked about earlier in the like the uh, discussion here, where every character is trying to have a sort of a selfish position. Yeah. Um, and I think Murray has this moment that in, and this was going on in my head when this scene Absolutely. was unfolding, yeah, I know what where say. he starts to feel like he's on the precipice of being the next big entertainment thing. Cause he has this, he's got the scoop now. He has the scoop. He has the psychopath sitting there admitting to murders, mm. admitting to conversations. And he sees this moment. There's a moment. De Niro is very subtle with it. And it's very good. And it, uh, it's great that you brought up how great he was in Goodfellas, Jack, because he shows it here. Even though it's such a small role, there's a moment where he thinks, "I could be the. This could be my th- like. Yeah. I'm already can, a big you, deal." But. You can literally see it in his performance when he go. You can see his character click onto like, "This is going to be an iconic interview. I'm going to yeah. go. I'm going to do some hard journalism here and yeah. find yeah, out what's absolutely. going on." He switches into journalism. They never, not they never say that in the film. You just get the vibe that he's this character absolutely. is like, "Oh fuck, I can I'm use glad this you guy." Pointed it out. It's absolutely, yeah, that would be like, the second time he's used this character for fucking clout, you know. Yeah, my, and it and yeah. and it, of course, obviously, it escalates, and they have that conversation. Sorry, Jake, I just have to. Yeah, chime no, in no, with no. That. Uh, but that you're right. That's also one of the reasons because it just goes in such a different direction 
before he cracks and shoots him in the face. My real highlight scene, though, that was one I wanted to talk about. My real one so is good. the combination of all the stuff on the train when he his first kills and then him dancing in the bathroom, celebrating the first moment of control in his entire life and just... Those dance moves, man. I don't know how that, I feel about that I train scene. I fucking love train both scene those scenes. Brilliant, dude. Mm. Love that scene. Okay, maybe not the train scene. Actually, the first scene when he gets beaten with the sign, I thought that was a little, like it was that a, a like really a, good uh, shot, but it was a bit like that last shot where it's pulling out and it has the Joker tie. Like, it's ruined, mm. I think, by the the giant over the top title. For some but, reason that opening sequence felt like an is, advert to me. I don't know. I felt like something was going to come up. Like it was like a Nike or a Pepsi advert. <laughs> so, like someone was going to hand. It him, just felt a bit like <laughs> someone was going to hand the top. Him. Like okay. yeah, like five teenage that. guys for some reason is just like we're going to just one beat of those the crap. Like out one of those videos an old woman shares on Facebook. Like look at this video. How cruel is the world? But that is in the dialogue though, because eventually um, the guy, the boss, he's like, oh, why would anyone take a sign? Why would anyone do anything? Yeah, like, like but I'm kind not of saying there isn't a, there's enough cause and effect in the script to kind of save that scene. Mm. I just feel like it's a little bit over the top. Whereas the one on the train is 100 percent motivated. Yeah, three drunk absolutely. guys trying to hit on a girl. He starts weirdly laughing, and they the girl runs off. And they could easily tie that to the weird dude. What a clever then, way of bringing the laugh in as well. Absolutely. Making it like a psychotic, he can't control it thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and it just showcases his technical acting but off that, the charts. I do think that De Niro scene, particularly at the end there when Joaquin Phoenix goes on that big monologue, is just... Just any scene where he's The crack in his voice, the start, the little subtle cracks, mm. just priceless. Just like his stare, like... It's not about the way he looks in that makeup. He just looks so sinister every time he looked. If he looked, if I was in that audience, he looked at me. I'd shit my pants. Like for some reason, the moment he gets in that makeup, he's just his whole body language changes, and he just feels way yeah. more sinister. He's like, oh, yeah. chill, inducing. Well, before, before we finish the conversation, obviously that big talking point of this film is immediately everyone chimes in and goes, "Is this the best rendition of the Joker?" And we've all agreed oh, no. that I'm gonna hate this it doesn't question. matter. You, uh, we've yeah. agreed that you can't compare them. No, nope. they're just too different at this point. It, yeah, I don't like comparing them to Heath Ledger because they're two different characters. I don't think in my any mind. of the Jokers so far have been comparable. Even shitty Jerry Leto one, nothing like any of the other ones. Yeah, Fucking definitely not like Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson is mm. car- Jack Nicholson's is like a cartoon Joker. The Heath Ledger is the real world Joker to an extent. The jo- the I, would say he, I would is... say Heath Ledger's is the cinematic Joker. Yeah, okay. This and one then, is the real world Joker. And then the yeah, Jared Leto one is the garbage Joker, that. and this one is <laughs> the real world Joker. So you can't compare yeah. them. They're all, they're all great. Most of them are great performances. <laughs> it just, but they've taken, like, I feel like this is every. Can you remember a Jared Leto line? I can't remember. I'm just going to hate you. Real. I'm the real bad. Or he's like, so bad. at one point he growls he goes I like you oh, <laughs> and then he does the he has the laughing tattoo oh, I'm sorry oh, and there's one moment it's where like he, just use your mouth there's one moment where he goes I'm an idea <laughs> terrible like, he shouldn't even been in the film period I, just don't think, Gods are, I don't think yeah. there's any other versions of the joke he could do at this point like they've done every, like they can't compare any of them because they're all such different interpretations but I think we're out of interpretations don't do the Joker anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Wanting, wanting him if in the second movie. If you're going to do the Joker... <laughs> if, I know. If you're going to do the Joker, just do this Joker. <laughs> okay. For all the right. rest of ever. Is that, is that... We're all good? Good? Yep. Good. I suppose... Uh, well, Joker is out in theatres near you right now. If you live in the US, just uh, bring a bulletproof vest with oh, you. Uh, they'll be handing them out at the snack bar. <laughs> <laughs> 10 bucks with your popcorn no worries Jake what is new in cinemas this week there's a little bit Gemini Man comes out this week oh boy next week's podcast <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's also in 3D 
Oh, oh cool. Fuck, is that the first movie so in like five years? So I could see clone years? CGI Will Smith in 3D. He'll be like waving his hands at the camera like, whoa. <laughs> be like, shock, went lava girl. I legitimately do not know what the film is about. A guy born in June, Gemini mm. Man. Didn't you say that was we, like a... We, us both. Whoa. <laughs> we, we Gemini Men. We Gemini Men. <laughs> we should have played... Dude, the... the sequel, Gemini Men, starring me and you. Yes, let's do it. Let's That'd do it. that shit action movie ever. We're That'd so That'll be my unfit. next feature. <laughs> <laughs> Another film, Working Woman. And I wanted to read the logline oh. for this because I thought it was interesting. In this Israeli workplace drama, a breadwinning woman walks an un- uh, an employment tightrope as her husband's new restaurant struggles and her boss starts making inappropriate advances. I thought that was in Working Spicy. Woman. Spicy. It's I'll out. I'll be seeing that. Um, Hustlers. I will not be which, seeing that. <laughs> have you guys heard much about Hustlers? This is a stripper one. Right? I think so, yeah. yeah it's yeah. gotten amazing reviews. Which this is like Magic Mike for women. So yeah, just, that's what I've heard. empowering women by these strippers are hustling, but also apparently a very good movie, which blows yeah, my mind. I heard good things about it. I mean, it. Magic Mike's not bad. But Cardi B's in that movie. Okay. <laughs> bad. I mean, some people don't think Channing Tatum can act. Yeah, I don't. So, <laughs> yeah. And a movie called Greenlight also comes <gasps> out. Greenlight's out. This reminds me of Green Room and Green Book and Green Everything. That's what they're it's trying a, to get you. Well, apparently it's a documentary. So green equals money. Green does equals money. Well, now, I brought up the Netflix list as well because I forget that Netflix isn't included in this list. We also do have season four of Riverdale, everyone. Is everyone excited? Oh my season God, four of I Riverdale? Can't I can't believe they're, they're still four. making that yeah. show. Insatiable season two also comes out. On and I can't the believe they 11th. made more of that show. Now, there's something else that comes out on the 11th what on is Netflix. That? It's, a, it's a movie that all three of us have kind of. I don't know if we've been hoping for this to come out. But now that it's announced, we are incredibly excited. And we're yes. going to be doing it next week on the podcast. Jake, what are we watching? It is called El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. I get high, and I get low. Oh, that's the way these things go. I saw my face in the air. The Netflix event El Camino reunites fans with Jesse Pinkman, Emmy winner Aaron Paul. In the wake of his dramatic escape from captivity, Jesse must come to terms with his past in order to forge some kind of future. And it is written and directed by none other than Vince Gilligan. Holy shit, guys. That's what you get for selling chili pee. Predictions? <laughs> it gonna be bad is my prediction. No, this film's gonna be incredible. This is big, right? Has Vince Gilligan done a film? Uh, this is barely a film. I don't think he's directed a film in a long, long time. Okay. If I had to... I think he's definitely done one before. I'd have to double-check this. He's much more of a writer than a director, especially in the TV space. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, in, sorry, in the film space, my apologies. I've finished but... the first two seasons of Breaking Bad. I don't think I'll be able to get through the show. I'm going to watch time. the final season. That's all the preparation I'm going to do. I just don't want to ruin just, like, watching the final... I know, I'm just... You, you've maybe already seen the, the show, last episode. You've already seen the show, Yeah, though. maybe I'll just watch the last episode. Like I can't remember. Maybe the last two. Like, There's a lot of shit from, uh, What's the what's the one that Hank discovers? That last half season. I watched. Yeah, the last so season half f- uh, season five episode nine would be okay. where you should so we'll start. From there. That's like the last eight. I think oh, I've okay. got the DVDs and they literally have the final season. So which you want to know what yeah, exactly. Gilligan has done movie wise? What has he done? Sure. Oh, he's never directed a film. Oh. X Files, Breaking Bad, and then Better Call Saul. So this is literally but his this, feature debut. But he's written films. This ain't. 
He's written films exactly. He wrote, yep. but uh, this is first directing. He wrote, film, yes. he wrote Hancock. But this ain't the director's corner where we do directorial debuts. No, <laughs> um, you can literally just watch a TV show and that's his directorial debut. No, okay. Um, obviously, we all love Breaking Bad. Probably put it in our top five shows of all time. All three of us. Probably right. my. I mean, that's the reason I'm even here talking to you guys right now is, is Breaking Bad. Okay. So I just there's that. Don't watch a lot of TV, so it has to be my top five. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally think I've only enjoyed maybe Westworld more. Than Breaking Bad. I like it's a robot, but I gave up on it because I'm fucking lazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we'll be back with El Camino, a Breaking Bad story next week. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow podcast. El Caramello. El Camino. I was Zeke. I was Jake. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with El Camino, a Breaking Bad story. Mm.